As we continue this series I began last Sunday, I've entitled Christmas Hits, where we are looking at songs of Christmas, songs of Advent that are referring to the script in the scripture, referring to Christ and his coming. I'm calling them songs, even though we're not really sure if these were actually sung. They could have been, but they're certainly poetry and are easily put to music. Our plan for the rest of this series is to look at song lyrics specifically here in the Gospel of Luke. This morning, the song we're looking at is often referred to as the Magnificat. The Magnificat, it's the song of Mary. Next week, we'll consider the song of Zechariah, which is he was the father of John the Baptist. And then on Christmas Eve morning, we'll consider the song of Simeon that he pronounced whenever Jesus as an infant was brought into the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. And then at our candlelight Christmas Eve service that Sunday night, we'll consider the song of the angels to the shepherds who were in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Have you ever noticed how some lyrics to Christmas songs in particular are a little strange, a little odd? In fact, I think it's the case with a lot of songs, not just Christmas songs. We can sing them, and we're singing out loud, but we don't really think about what the song is saying or maybe even what the song means. And certainly there are some, some classic Christmas songs that fit that as well. For instance, the song, I, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, the context seems to be Christmas carols on the front step of a house. And the second verse says, oh, bring us some figgy pudding. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding. Oh, bring us some figgy, figgy pudding and bring it right here. And then it gets more hostile. We won't go until we get some. We won't go until we get some. We won't go until we get some. So bring it right here. I think a hostage negotiator might be needed in this situation. Another one is uh, this one. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus underneath the mistletoe last night. The second verse, a little more awkward. I saw mommy tickle Santa Claus underneath his beard so snowy white. Oh, what a laugh it would have been if daddy had only seen mommy kissing Santa Claus last night. I think that child will be in therapy for years. <laughs> and then there's this creepy lyric from Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Not Santa Claus, stalker Claus is who he is. <laughs> Well, the Christmas song lyrics we're considering in this series actually refer to the true meaning of Christmas, the sending of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the arrival of the Messiah in the miraculous conception in the womb of Mary, who was a virgin. And because of the incredible details surrounding Jesus' arrival and all the miraculous aspects of that arrival, it too gave rise to some interesting, sometimes maybe even curious song lyrics. Well, the event that gave rise to the lyrics we're going to consider today is actually when pregnant Mary went to visit her, her pregnant cousin, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was also miraculously pregnant, but not by the same miraculous nature that Mary was pregnant. You see, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, was well advanced in years. That's her husband's words, not mine. And she was well beyond childbearing age, as was her husband. But she, in fact, did conceive and did give birth to one who would be John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Well, Mary travels to the far country to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And it's interesting that whenever Mary greets Elizabeth, the baby, the infant John the Baptist, just leaps in the womb of Elizabeth, his mother, kicks her in the ribs, if you will. She may even had to sit down 
because of the pain. In fact, I want you to notice how Elizabeth describes the greeting. Look at Luke 1, just preceding our passage for today. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, just an aside here, there may not be a better passage of Scripture in the New Testament or Old Testament alike that better illustrates the Christian biblical worldview that abortion is wrong. These infant babies had life. They were human. But it was Elizabeth's blessing and her praise that actually prompted the very young cousin Mary to pin these words, to sing forth this song we know as the Magnificat. The Magnificat is simply a Latin word. It comes from the Latin translation of the Bible, the Latin Vulgate, the word that's translated in our Bibles, magnify or praise. In the Latin Vulgate is tra- translated simply Magnificat, and that's probably why you see that title in your Bible. Her song of praise begins by magnifying the Lord for the grace that he has bestowed upon her that she would be the mother of the Messiah. In fact, notice how the song begins in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She is offering this magnificat, this praise, this worship of God because she has recognized her even in her humble, low position, her low stature in society and has honored her with this great blessing of becoming the mother of Jesus. But then as her praise continues, as her worship continues of God, it does take an interesting, even unexpected turn. You see, not only does she praise God and bless God because he raises up the lowly, but she also offers praise to God because he brings down the lofty. That there are these two ways to live, if you will, two paths that you could go on. And Mary mentions both of these paths. God does not always, with the lowly, God does not always work through those that we might pick. He doesn't always choose to use those we might say, yeah, this is the one that we should follow after. Things are not always as they seem. In fact, there is often a great reversal. The low are lifted up. The high are brought down. There may be in your life a great reversal. Or maybe you've experienced a great reversal. I know I have in my life. Riding high and proud, and then all of a sudden, cut down low. It happened to me on the last day of my sixth grade year at Mama Elementary School in Mama, Florida. Yes, it's a real place, and that's a real school. Our school, elementary school, went through sixth grade, not through fifth grade like a lot of schools around here. And at the last day of, or next to the last day of school, they had the award ceremony. Now, you have to know, I was following in the footsteps of my older siblings, particularly my two older brothers. You see, as the sixth graders on campus, we were the top of the pile. 
right? We were the big cheese. We were the ones who were in charge. And among those who were the top of the pile was this one individual, the captain of the safety school patrols. If you were the captain of the safety safety patrol, you went to that flagpole every day and raised the flag and lowered the flag, among other responsibilities. Well, my brother before me, Carl, and my other brother, Tony, they were each selected at the beginning of their sixth grade year to be the captain of the school safety patrols. So would I be the heir apparent? I mean, I was a part of the Blue Bloods. (laughs) Would I become the captain of the safety patrol? Well, I'm here to tell you, yes, I was. I still have my belt and my badge. Blue, captain, not sergeant, lieutenant, or even private. Not only that, my brothers also experienced another honor. You see, at the end of the school year, they had the awards ceremony, like most schools do. And at this awards ceremony, they handed out the typical awards that you would expect, their certificate for math, certificate for reading, library certificate, you know, perfect attendance, all these PE awards, different certificates. But there was one award that was the coveted award of the sixth grade class. And it was the best all-around student award. And this award didn't just receive a paper certificate, it was sponsored by the American Legion and you got a medal pinned on your chest. Both my brother Tony and my brother Carl received the medal on their chest. So here we are, sixth grade award ceremony. I'm there in my leisure suit with the big lapels, waiting to see, am I gonna get my name called? After all the other awards are presented, the principal comes up to the podium. She begins to extol the academic achievements of this student, and she calls the name finally. And the winner of the best all-around student is Troy Walliser. Sure enough, I got awarded that award, and I walked forward, and they pinned the medal on my chest. That was the next to the last day of school. The last day of school is I'm walking through the hallways one last time, about 10 foot tall. My homeroom teacher, Miss McMillan, sees me in the hallway and says, Troy, come here for a second. I want to talk to you. She brings me into her classroom privately and she says, uh, I figured she's going to congratulate me. She says, hey, uh, I wanted to let you know something. I talked to your bus driver yesterday. I said, okay. She was very surprised that you were selected as the best all-around student. (laughs) I said, what did the winch say? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, why is that? She said, of all the children on her school bus, you have the worst potty mouth. I did not protest because I knew it was true. And I went from feeling about 10 feet tall to about an inch high as I slithered away from this teacher whom I loved greatly. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. If you feel that you're really high, you will be brought low. But the other great reversal is this, those who are of low estate, the Lord says he will lift them up. And that's exactly what we see, this eternal principle right here in Mary's song of praise. And so there are two main points on my outline. Hopefully you grab one of those out of the bulletin you can follow along this morning. Two ways that Mary highlights in her song. The first one is this, the way of the lowly. The way of the lowly. Throughout Mary's song, she describes the way of the lowly. And I want to highlight particularly three ways she characterizes the way of the lowly. The first is this. The way of the lowly is that they walk a path of humility. The way of the lowly walk a path of 
humility. We see it a couple places in her song, verse 48. For he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 52, and exalted those of humble estate. Now, many of us are so familiar with the Christmas story, we miss some of the, the shock, some of the surprise, even some of the scandal that is a part of this story because we're so familiar with it. For instance, if we heard today that the king, the ruler of our country, was to be born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where would we think he might be born? Well, maybe from the old money up on Lookout Mountain. Or maybe from the new money on Signal Mountain. We wouldn't think the Messiah would come from one of those neighborhoods we don't drive through at night. But that's exactly where Jesus came from. He came from Nazareth. It's where he was brought up, though he was born in Bethlehem. Nathaniel, when he was called to be a disciple, said, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's exactly where Jesus came from, this backwater town. And then you have Mary herself. If you could make a checklist of all the reasons why Mary would not be someone you would choose to be the mom of the Messiah, well, she checked all the boxes. She was poor. She was impoverished. She was young. Most scholars think she was 13 or 14 years old at best. She was not married. And fourth, she was a woman. She checked all the box, boxes. She even says about herself, I am of humble estate. And when she says it, she really means it. It's not kind of like the humble brag we hear people use today. You know what the humble brag is, right? They'll say something that seems humble on the front end, but it's actually a, a brag that they're putting forward. She really was from humble estate. She really was poor. And that's not because of anything that she could do about it. And she sings about the grace of God in her life. I mean, if you consider the lyrics of her song, she doesn't sing about herself. She doesn't sing about her stellar character or her deservingness. No, it's all praise to God. There's no Instagram post, hashtag mama the Messiah. There's no Facebook post where she says, hey, I just need you guys to pray for me. I don't know if you heard about it. It's kind of a big deal. I'm going to be the mom of Jesus, right? Do I look good in this dress? I don't know. None of that. She's humble. She just gives praise to God. You know, in some religious traditions, this humble, insignificant Mary is given exalted titles. Look at some of these titles. She's called the Star of the Sea. In that image, she's walking on water. She's called the Queen of Heaven, being enthroned by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And some even call her a co-redemptrix, a co-redeemer with Jesus, as if somehow she participated in the blood atonement that saves us from our sins. Let me tell you what all these things are. Blasphemy. We cannot apply to Mary titles that she would reject, which she would. It's often said that humility is not thinking of yourself less, it's th or thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so here's the question. Do you walk in humility? Do you walk in humility? Humility is walking through life with this profound realization that God has given me so much more than I deserve. Or do you think with whatever struggles and suffering 
you have in your life. You know, I really did get a raw deal here. I don't deserve this. My parents had it out for me. That teacher had it out for me. The government has it out for me. God has it out for me. Or do you think God has been so kind? He's blessed you with so much more than I ever deserve. That's the way of the lowly, walking the path of humility. Here's the second way of the lowly, and that is to be fearful in the presence of the holy. To be fearful in the presence of the holy. Now, we know there are bad kinds of fear. The Bible does not commend groveling or uh, anxiety, shriveling, faithless fear. Many of us, if we were honest, we even during this season are hounded by all kinds of fears. The fear of not having enough. The fear of missing out. The fear of being rejected or being betrayed. The fear of one of your children forsaking the Lord. The fear of living without purpose. The fear of losing your health. All these fears can plague us. And we can pretend that we've got all things together, but in reality, we often struggle with these anxieties. This is not the kind of fear that Mary is singing about. Notice again, verse 49 and 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. If you've studied your Bible at all, you know in both the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, this word fear is often used as a word that means devotion, a kind of piety. The Bible does commend a healthy fear of the Lord. And real humility says this, God has blessed me more than I deserve. And healthy fear says, God, you're big and I'm not. God, you call the shots in my life, I don't. God, you know what's better than I do. And this general lack of reverence, this general lack of fear for authority even, it starts very young in our children, doesn't it? It starts very young. If we say, God, you call the shots, how often does a child voluntarily say to a parent, Mom, you call the shots in my life. Dad, you know what's better for me than I do. Dad, I am not always right. So Mary praises God in this song because she said, God's mercy is for those who fear him in his holiness. God's mercy, listen, does not come to those who thumb their nose at God. God's mercy is not for those who don't believe they need his grace but it's for those who realize they will give an account for their lives. You know, in centuries past, among church folk, it was probably often the case, and maybe if you want to put this on a continuum, on a spectrum, there would be those in in centuries past who would be on this end of the spectrum that have a very robust fear of God and maybe didn't think about his fatherliness or his tenderness. And I would say if that was the maybe extreme, perhaps because of some hellfire preaching or whatever, in the old days, I would say today we're probably on the other end of the spectrum. That we do consider God's tenderness and his fatherliness and his kindness, but we rarely think about his holiness. 
that God is a big God, that he is a fearful God, that he is one upon whom we will all stand and give an account for our lives. And Mary sings it so well. She says, if you want to know mercy, if you want to know his grace, fear the holy God. The way of the lowly is they walk a path of humility. The way of the lowly is they are fearful in the presence of a holy God. Here's the third thing. The way of the lowly is that he seeks satisfaction as the hungry. In verse 53, Mary describes the longing of the lowly like this. He, God, has filled the hungry with good things. Now, it could be physical hunger. Certainly, at many times in the history of Christians and the history of the church, through persecution and opposition, there have been whole communities of Christians who have gone hungry, who prayed literally every day, give us this day our daily bread. But physical hunger is not the only kind of hunger. In fact, Jesus even said in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed, words used here in this song, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after what? After righteousness, holiness. So there's more to being hungry and the more, most important way to be hungry is maybe not the way some of you are feeling right now. Yes, pastor, speaking of hunger, it is almost lunchtime. But this appetite, this desire to be satisfied, it's the sort of hunger that all of you have experienced. All of you have experienced the hunger that Mary's singing about. There's got to be more to life than this. You ever thought that? There's got to be more than this. Even at Christmas time, with all the celebrations, all the decorations, all the parties, it may happen when that last present is unwrapped and you think, is that it? It's over? Is there more than this? That's the hunger that Mary's singing of. When does food taste best? When you're really hungry. When you're really hungry, you might eat just about anything. Bryce, you might even eat vegetables when you're really hungry. He says no. <laughs> With lots of ranch on it, yeah. When you're really hungry, stuff tastes better. But if you've satisfied that desire, that hunger with the false fast food of this world, you're not hungry. I bet there's probably somebody in your family maybe a teenage boy or the one-year-old who seems to never be satisfied, who's always hungry. What is there to eat around here? In our family, it's my granddaughter, Nora, who was singing right here earlier. We have a nickname for Nora, Snacky Snack. She always wants a Snacky Snack. She must always have in her hand a Snacky Snack. I'm hungry. She's not really hungry, but she just wants to have a Snacky Snack. There's a hunger, there's physical hunger. And if you were honest, some of us have gone a really long time without hungering after God. In fact, look at this next slide. Maybe you would just pray this kind of a prayer. Oh God, I want to know more of Christ this Christmas. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like this? 
God, make me more holy. God, make me more righteous. Cause me to be satisfied with nothing but you and your word and your righteousness. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like that? Why don't we pray prayers like that? Again, I think we're probably just too satisfied with all the other junk food we've been eating. I can remember as I would reach into our cabinet and my mom would see me grabbing a Three Musketeers bar about 5.30. She would say, Troy, don't eat that now. You'll ruin your appetite or ruin your dinner. Some of us, we have no appetite for God because we've been eating all kinds of junk food in the world. The way of the lowly is not to seek satisfaction in these things, but to feast on Christ, to hunger after his righteousness. And here's the promise, you will be filled. You will be satisfied. This is the way of the lowly, seeking satisfaction as the hungry. But now let's turn our attention to the second category of, of life, second way of life, the way of the lofty. Mary sings praise to God for the way he deals with the lowly, but also offers praise to God for the way he deals with the lofty. In fact, I want us to consider three characteristics that Mary identifies in her song. First of all, the lofty have this disposition of pride. They have a disposition of pride. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. It only makes sense that the lofty would have this disposition of pride, of being prideful. Now, we use this word pride or proud in all kinds of ways in our vernacular, and not all forms of pride or being proud are necessarily wrong. I know many of you parents were just beaming with pride over your children. You can experience a sense of pride when you've worked on something diligently and uh, you've accomplished something. We can even sing, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. That's perfectly okay. But the Bible does talk about a kind of pride that is not okay. And that's the pride Mary speaks of here. It's the pride that thinks inherent in yourself, you have a reason to be acceptable to God. It's the pride that thinks within yourself you have some kind of deservedness. We hear that a lot today, don't we? Oh, she didn't deserve that. Oh, he deserves better than that. Really? The world says, you're amazing. You're smart. You're good looking. You're beautiful. You're perfect just the way you are. Friend, God does not say that. When you come to God, he does not say you're perfect just the way you are. He says there's all kinds of things we need to correct. There's all kinds of things we need to begin working on. In fact, it's much better than the false ideas that our world feeds us. When we come to God, number one, he tells us the truth about ourselves. And number two, he says, okay, let's get to work. He's not content to leave us there. He says, you know what? By yourself, you're not amazing. By yourself, you've fallen short of my glory. By yourself, you're like a lost sheep who's wandered away. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. That's what God says. 
God says, you're born one way. I want you to be born again a new way. So this pride that Mary speaks of is this pride that feels self-sufficient, this pride that projects dependence on no one, independence, the pride that needs nothing or no one to be complete and to be whole. Of course, this is the kind of thing that our world celebrates. This is the kind of thing that our world puts forward as being the pinnacle of success. Case in point, this past week, Time Magazine named their person of the year for 2023, Taylor Swift. She's gonna turn, she has a birthday this week in case you wanted to get her card. She'll be 34 years old. She's worth over $1 billion. She's had a dozen public boyfriends. And in case you've been living under a rock, you know she's now dating a NFL superstar. She's unmarried, she's childless, and she's on the cover of a magazine holding her cat. And this is who the world says, this is girl power. Ladies, emulate this. Pursue that. This is what it means to be a true American woman. I would present to you ladies another singer. Her name is Mary. She's the pinnacle of girl power. She's humble. She's kind. And she sees this is all of grace, totally undeserved. Sing her song maybe when you're riding around in your car. The Magnificat. So there's this lofty disposition of pride. Secondly, there's a dependence upon power. With the lofty, there's a dependence upon power. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Again, this is contrasted with those of low estate. Here we have the mighty. These are those who sit on thrones, those who wield great worldly power. And this is a warning for all of us of the subtle snare of pursuing power. Now, not all power is bad. Is God powerful? Yes. You got to have power for the world to work. Leaders have power. There are government leaders. There are business leaders. There are church leaders that have a level of power. Parents have power. We need power. But what Mary is singing about is it's not power in and of itself, but it's the chasing after this power, the grasping on to the sinful attacking of others to achieve it. And you may quickly think in yourself, well, that's not me. I don't really have any power. I don't have any titles. I'm not pursuing any titles that I'm grasping after. There's all kinds of power. Good looks is a kind of power. Having a skill or a talent or ability, whether that's athletic or musical or vocational, that's a kind of power. Good grades, notoriety. And watch this. Victimhood is a kind of power. When someone plays the victim card, they often play it in order to manipulate the so-called victimizers, so they would appease them or placate them, and they love to wield that power. And Mary says in her song, if you're holding on, if you're clinging to, if that's your identity, 
some position, some throne, some power, well, you are mighty and you're not in a good place. There's coming a reversal. The way of the lofty is the disposition of pride, a dependence on power, and thirdly, the way of the lofty is to delight in possessions. To delight in possessions. In verse 53, she sings, the rich he has sent away empty. Remember, we've already seen that hunger can be more than physical hunger, and certainly riches, possessions, wealth can be more than monetary wealth, but here's the deal, it's not less than that. We can pursue possessions and wealth. There's a great danger that most of us face, particularly in our incredibly prosperous society, that we can be completely satisfied with who we are and where we are because of our immense wealth. You have all you need. You have your insurance. I've got my life insurance. I'm worth more to Amy dead than I am alive, right? We've got our retirement accounts. We've got our jobs, we've got our savings, we've got a pantry stockpiled with food. I'm good, <laughs> I'm good. And even if you were to say, you know what, my, my social status, it's really kind of lower, lower middle class, it's not all that. Compared to the rest of the world, friend, it is all that. In fact, I want you to notice this, pre -re this Pew Research study. By global standard, majority of Americans are, quote, high income. And here's the comparison between how the globe is doing with regard to wealth and how those who are in the U.S. are in wealth. They have five categories, poor, low, middle, upper, high. Poor, that's living on less than $2 a day. I've been to those places and those communities and those countries. 16% of the world is in that wealth category, whereas 2% of our population. Low, living on 2 to $10 a day. 56% of the world is in that category, whereas we are about 3%. Middle, living on 10 to $20 a day. 13% of the world is there, 7% of the U.S. Upper, living on 20 to $50 a day. That's my son who works at the Chicken Shack. That's 9% of the world, 32% of our population. But high, living on more than $50 a day, only 9% of the world, but 56% of Americans. Immense wealth represented just in this room. And I don't show you this to shame you or make a guilt trip on you. Listen, you didn't choose where you were born. By God's grace, you were born in the United States of America, the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. By God's grace, my dad immigrated to the United States, built a business, scrimped and saved to give his children a better life than he had. That's grace. But still, this status of grace, the riches, can really lead us to fall into a trap where we believe, I'm good, <laughs> I'm good. But really the riches Mary is speaking about is not just financial riches that come from dollars and cents because you see, the riches are contrasted with the hungry in verse 53. I told you earlier that hunger is not just physical hunger but a spiritual hunger. So it's not just that the rich are full, it's this, the rich are full of themselves. As I thought, thought about this and studied this, I thought of Revelation chapter three. Many of you are probably familiar with this rebuke that Jesus gives personally in his personal letter to the Laodicean church, a lukewarm church. He says this, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Stop right there. 
What was it that caused the church in Laodicea to be a lukewarm church so much so that it made Jesus sick? He tells us in verse 17, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I'll tell you what the church of Laodicea is. It's the church of the United States of America. We have no need of anything. We are rich, prosperous. We think we're the big cheese when you really just stink. Do any of these mark your path? Pride, power, possessions. There's the way of the lofty and there's the way of the lowly. There's two ways and Mary praises God for how he deals with each. Don't miss this. This song is a song of praise. It's a song of worship. It's the Magnificat. She magnifies God for the way he deals with these two categories of people. She sings about who God is, and she sings about what God does. So I move to a conclusion. Let me just show you this real quick. Here's who she says God is. Who is God? Verse 47, your Savior. What does that tell us? We need deliverance. Who is God? Verse 49, he's mighty. What does that mean? We are small. Who is God? He's holy. That means we are sinful. Who is God? He's strong. That tells us we are weak. She sings about who God is, but she also sings about what God does. What does God do? It's interesting. In the Greek tense of the verbs, these are all in the perfect tense. They're translated in the past tense in our English. The perfect tense simply means it's something that's been accomplished that has ongoing results. In other words, this is a prophetic word. This is what God does and how he will continue to function and work. What you need to know, your life is not ruled by dumb luck. It's not ruled by kismet. It's not ruled by karma. It's not ruled by blind chance. It's ruled by a sovereign God. And here's how God works is two responses. What God does couldn't be any clearer. To the lowly, he looks upon the lowly, the humble. To the lowly, he does great things. Verse 50, he is merciful. To the lowly, he exalts. To the hungry, he fills. To the lowly, he helps. So friend, if your path is marked by humility, by hunger, a sense of fear over the holiness and reverence for God, the good news is that God looks upon you. He does great things for you. He is merciful for you. He exalts you. He fills you. He helps you. This is what God does. What does God do for the lofty? To the lofty, he scatters them. He brings them down, and he sends them away. You see why I'm using this language of the great reversal? There is a great reversal coming. There is a great reversal coming. And as you know the rest of the story, Jesus, who is in the womb of Mary, as she sings this song, would some 33 years later be the ultimate humble, sacrificial, sin-bearing sacrifice for you and for me, that all who believe in him, who trust in his name, might have eternal life. 
You'll never find a better example than the Lord Jesus, and you'll never find a better Savior than the Lord Jesus. Mary's song of praise is not about, hey, y'all, God wants you to be humble, so just humble yourselves, will you? God's song of praise is, you could never make it, but Jesus can. Mary's song is always Godward. So I would ask you, what path are you on? As I close, I want to close with this. One of the oldest books in the Christian tradition is what's known as the Didache. The Didache, that's a Greek word that simply, simply means the teaching, like didactic is teaching. The Didache. It's a late first century book, very early in church history. And essentially what the book is, is it's, we could call it a manual for church order. Sounds very exciting, doesn't it? But what this does, it's not scripture, it's not authoritative like scripture, but it does give us an insight into how the very earliest Christians lived out their faith. And the very first chapter is called The Two Ways. And with The Two Ways, many scholars believe that this first chapter of the DDK, The Two Ways, was something that would be used for baptism candidates. If you said, I trust in Jesus, I want to profess my faith publicly in baptism, then they would tell you, well, you need to know something, what you're signing up for. There are two ways. Are you clear about that? There's one way and there's another way. In fact, my last thought this morning is the first sentence of this ancient book called the Didache, and here's what it says. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, but a great difference between the two. And I would ask you, have you chosen the way of life?